0: And good evening and good morning or good afternoon or any of those time zones on this rotating globe. Welcome to the other side of midnight because somewhere on the planet it is the other side. You know, this show has dealt with the betwixt and between and the possible and the speculative and the outrageous and the, oh, come on, that can't be true and all that other stuff for as long as you've been on the air. Now it's a couple of years going almost now on three years. But tonight we're gonna to be dealing with a subject which is very important because it's in that gray zone where if it's true, it has incredibly important implications for the here and now. And the evidence is piling up that it could be true. We're gonna go through that evidence tonight. But before we get to that, let me, let me give you some circumstantial uh, background. If you go to the other side of midnight.com and you click on the show page, you click on that uh, banner, a gorgeous banner that Cynthia uh, created, which takes you to tonight's guest for Saturday. Click on that, that will take you to our guest page for tonight. Uh, in Radio with Pictures under My Items, there are several items that I stole, you know, blatantly, blatantly from the homepage because there's been this pattern of dots accumulating over the last couple, three weeks which bode for something, something is going on, something we're not being told about, something that we're in fact, I think extraordinarily and elegantly and redundantly being distracted from with the incredible soap opera going on in Washington. Uh, Something which is obviously much more important than who's in, who's out, who's up, who's down, who's, charmed and whose beauty and, you know, mixing our metaphors there, if you go to that section, my section tonight of radio with pictures, you'll see that in the last couple of weeks, the president has announced he wants a space force of Marines, no less, because he made this address in front of a whole bunch of Marines at Miramar. He wants a space force to accompany the folks he's sending to Mars. Now, that's interesting. And then a few days after that, President Putin, who just had an election in, in Russia and who held a press conference in early March where he extolled something like five new kill, kill, kill weapon systems aimed at, well, they're supposedly aimed at us, but we're not quite sure. He comes out with an announcement that they're going to Mars next year. 2019, Russia announces that they are going to Mars with an unmanned mission. Now, the really weird thing about that is that he says that he's going to do it in six weeks, that in fact, he's going to get there. Now, you cannot get a spacecraft under conventional Newtonian dynamics, you know, rockets. You can't get there in six weeks. It's a strain even to get there in six months because of what's called Hohmann, you know, transfer trajectories where basically you use your rockets in the beginning for a few minutes and then you coast halfway around the sun to intersect the planet where you want to arrive, in this case, Mars. So it takes between six and nine months for a strictly home and transfer, which is the least energy way to get from our orbit, Earth's orbit, to Mars' orbit. So for him to get there in six weeks means that somehow Russia, Putin, has developed a continuous thrust drive. I mean, that's really incredible, if that's true. And it was kind of slipped in there between the cracks where Putin says, yeah, we're going to get there in six weeks. Now, you could say, if it was some other head of state uh, who didn't have an IQ of 240-something, that he just made a slip. But Putin is not a guy to make slips. Remember, he was former you know, head of the KGB. He's up to his eyebrows in Intel, He's masterminding this four-dimensional chess game against us, the last election, and a lot of other nations on the planet right now. So was that a slip? Was that a mistake? Or was that a telling the truth between the lines? We'll get into that later on this morning. Then if you continue to scroll down, the third item is that Trump says suddenly, without acknowledgement or, or warning to his staff, that he was going to suddenly meet with Putin. This was last week, or was it earlier? I mean, history is flowing by at such a pace, it's accelerating at such a rate, it's hard to keep track because things are happening in one day that used to not happen in a month or in six months. I mean, the rate of change of news, of what's going on in all media, social media included, is absolutely astonishing that the rate of increase, which of course, as a um, parenthetical side note, is perfectly in consonance with hyperdimensional physics, which says everything should and is accelerating. And boy, is it. So um, if that's true, if he's really planning to go in six weeks and not six months or nine months, that means they've got to have some kind of, of, hyperdimensional technology because you couldn't even do that with any reasonable mission with uh, ion thrusters and that kind of thing. This requires some kind of true anti-gravity drive. So in the wake of that announcement, suddenly, without telling his chief of staff, without telling his national security advisor, without telling the rest of his White House advisors, without telling anybody, Putin says, or or, or Trump says, you know, well, I I talked to Putin this morning and we're going to get together in the not too distant future. And in that little you know, a uh, press gaggle, as they call it when they bring in the, uh, you know, the press with cameras and all that to take a few sound bites before they kick them out for the real meeting. Trump reiterated like three or four times within the space of five minutes, we're going to meet he and Putin in the not too distant future. And he talked about um, that he wanted to meet with him because he wanted to talk about the coming arms race well, that's interesting. Where did where did that come from? You know, we're all focused on Korea, North Korea. There's a meeting between the president and the head of North Korea coming up in May. But obviously, um, the president wants to meet with Putin, who's not been very helpful on very many fronts to talk about, among other things, Ukraine. Well, Putin invaded Ukraine, you know, took Crimea. And Syria? Well, Putin went into Syria without our acknowledgement or rapprochement or discussion or acknowledgement or agreement. So, I mean, the president talks about helping to solve problems with Russia. What are the problems that we can use Russia to help solve? And my question is, are they in fact not visible problems, but problems kind of behind the scenes, problems that we're not supposed to be aware of and certainly not pay attention to in the cacophonous din of all this incredible distraction. I mean, good grief, it is so distracting. Oh, and then, um, a couple of days ago, he fired his national security advisor, General McMaster, and hired a guy who is the last person on the planet, according to all the diplomats and all the experts and all the people that are plugged in that know and have watched this individual's background and his service at the United Nations as our ambassador in a in um, a, um, recess appointment under the Bush administration, he hired John Bolton to be his new national security advisor. Well, Bolton is a guy, and again, I'm not making this stuff up. You can go read it everywhere. Bolton is a guy who never met a war he didn't like. He wants to nuke Iran, he wants to nuke North Korea, he wants to give him a bloody nose, he wants to he basically wants to start a war everywhere he can. And oh did I tell you that he was the architect behind George Bush's Iraq war. This is the guy that President Trump, who basically said during the campaign he was going to keep us out of these incredibly expensive and deleterious and lost leader wars, suddenly as his chief advisor on the subject of war and peace, I mean, that's what national security is, war and peace, he's hiring the one guy on the planet who just, he never met a war he didn't like. What the heck is going on? Oh, and by the way, while this is all going on, today there was a march of hundreds of thousands of high school kids and adults and smaller kids and and people of all ages and brackets in Washington, D.C., hundreds of thousands marching and demonstrating, decrying the explosion of guns in our society. Now, regardless of where you stand politically on the issue, that's not why I put this up there. The reason I put it up there is because for the first time in my lifetime, I'm seeing hundreds of thousands of the next generation, teenagers, future adults, future citizens, future people who can vote, future participants in this republic slash democracy, doing something that in election after election after election, we have seen not happen. I mean, there has been this kind of hype before every election that young people will get out and they will vote. And they don't. I mean, I think the last number was something like 17% of eligible voters in that age group voted and the rest, you know, divide, you know, take away 17 from moderate and what do you got? You've got an overwhelming percentage that don't get involved. I mean, the, the incredibly positive thing about what's going on in the country right now is that people at all age levels All races, creeds, religions, backgrounds, whatever. People are finally looking at this for a whole lifetime. People are finally really getting involved. I mean, I haven't seen this degree of involvement since the Vietnam War, which again presages what's going on behind the scenes that will require public participation and involvement when they decide to tell us? That's the question tonight, because is it possible that we are engaged in some kind of conflict already? And so far, all sides have agreed to keep us, meaning most of the population of the planet, out of it. So it's been going on behind the How can you have a war behind the scenes? Easy, the war takes place off planet. I mean, it really takes a lot to disturb the environment, to disturb the biosphere, to disturb where we live. And if you're not banging off nuclear weapons over major cities, there's so much going on, so much in, in news and in media and Facebook and Twitter and in Instagram and all those things that occupy people's overwhelming attention. I mean, did you see that email the other day, the, the announcement, I think it was this morning, where someone in New York is proposing a law that makes it illegal to send business email after five o'clock? I mean, it's nuts, so. You can't legislate this stuff, but someone is obviously feeling overwhelmed by the onrushing onslaught, the Niagara Falls of information, which is inundating all of us to where you really have to take time to tune out and drop out to retain your sanity, let alone be aware of what the important stuff is. And if that were not enough, Um, we have some issues with this show that I need to bring up. We have been proposing for the last month or two to a couple of networks, a major series on our work, our work on Mars, our work on the moon, our work on the potential for an extraterrestrial civilization that's out there. And all the new factor is maybe they're not as quiet as we used to think. And maybe there's um, evidence that things are not quiet on the, far out front we'll get into that later in the morning anyway a few days ago a couple of three days ago um these conversations came to a rather remarkable sudden and abrupt end where proposals and program outlines and imagery and all this which have been shipped back and forth and meetings and all this suddenly the conversation ended like what huh Well, I thought we were going to, you know, they were talking about doing a 13-part series on our work. And suddenly, after all the back and forth that has to go on to even get to the level of the serious conversation, it all came to a shocking, sudden halt. And I look at this because some of the people we were talking to, and this is not an overstatement, they are in direct touch with the current occupant of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue that's all I can say. The folks we were talking to about this series are directly talking to the president. That's a fact. One wonders, at least I wonder, if the sudden cessation of conversation, the idea that, oh, we're not interested, go somewhere else, if that was presage, in fact, on the idea that maybe what we're trying to do is deemed by someone as premature I mean, if there really is a buildup behind the scenes for some kind of, of you know, not so, so cold war, if we're really entering a whole new era, I mean, remember what Reagan and Gorbachev said um, between them, amongst them back in the, in the 80s when Reagan met with Gorbachev and he said, basically, if we found we were confronted by an alien threat, all our differences would melt away. We would combine forces to confront the problem. I'm paraphrasing, of course. Is that in fact what's going on behind the scenes between President Donald Trump and President Vladimir Putin? Oh, and also the Chinese. Is it in fact that we're being incredibly distracted by all this soap opera, day after day after day after day, meaningless words, talking heads, endless hours, hundreds of hours of conversation about you know porn stars and transcripts and NDAs and all that, because the reality is so much bigger and so much more threatening. And they don't believe they can tell us yet. Well, if that's true, obviously, I don't want to go along with the program, because I think people need to know now these various options and what's out there and what, in fact, we have to, to do to stay current and you know to to kind of you know have sanity in the midst of of chaos so what i want to do tonight is i want to announce to you something very important and brand new if you go to the other side of midnight.com which i will do right now as i am uh, scrolling back and forth and you scroll down under the first two banners for tonight show and tomorrow night show titled are we still secretly involved in a great celestial War? You will see right there, mid-page, a donate button, a PayPal donate button, where you can send the Enterprise mission, send the other side of midnight, send us funds. We need funds. Why do we need funds? Well, first of all, to keep the show on the air. That's first and foremost. Now, obviously, you can join Club 19.5 and you can accomplish that. But even if you are a member, if you have a little spare change, we could use it because it's obvious now that we cannot depend on external networks to get this story out. We have an extraordinary story to tell. We have artifacts, unquestionable artifacts, on Mars and on the moon. That's what the book is all about, the, uh, the book that we're working on. Our team, our dedicated team, is going to produce an extraordinary book laying out the evidence so there will not be anyone who is slightly in the, in, the, in the least objective who can look at this data this evidence this compiled context and say we are alone because we're not and obviously we never have been that's part of the lie that's part of the distraction that's part of the oh you're all just alone in this little nursery and someday we'll listen and we'll send a radio telescope pointing in a certain direction and we might hear us a... i mean that's all nonsense the facts are totally different but it requires publication to lay them out with references with documentation with links with imagery official imagery not just from NASA from all the space agencies now because what they're doing is they're leaking like crazy they're putting real data in the archives you know in advance of when they have to come clean so they can look back and we can all look back and they'll say see we weren't hiding anything it's all there if you were too damn dumb to notice it we we can't help it but It was there. Actually, it's not been there. Um, Several people that I work with around the world via internet, independent researchers, have gone into these archives and they found what I found. I was talking with Joe Farrell just the other night, and he said, oh, my God, I didn't know you'd notice this. They've been quietly replacing the fake imagery, the one full of JPEG artifacts and the ones where they've scrubbed out the stuff in the skies over the moon and all that. They've been quietly replacing those fake files with real files. And that's what this television series was supposed to showcase, how you can go on your computer and find these incredible now real imagery from among other places, the Apollo missions that astronauts took. Remember the big story about the Apollo missions? Oh, we never went there. It's all fake. done on a Soundstage in Nevada, wrong, fake news, a lie started by NASA when I was at JPL myself, watching the lie be born. And is this all been to protect us from the incredible, harsh reality that whoever is out there, whoever we were in conflict with, if we were the progenitors of the conflict, whatever we as a species were involved in has not stopped. It's not extinct. It's still, in fact, going on. And behind the scenes, we are being prepared to confront reality, which is it's still around us. It's still here. It's still going on. So back to the idea of the TV series. Turns out what we have to do is we have to do our own. Now, we have plenty of outlets. I mean, the era of social media and cross-platforms and multi- media, television, and internet and all that has made it abundantly available. You can reach a huge number of people provided you have the programming to reach the people with. So our problem now is we have to raise funds to literally do our own series, to do this incredible, extraordinary series. In fact, at some point, someone said, why don't we call it Hoagland's Moon? Which Companions, what NASA years ago did when they called one of the... uh, shows that they did on my work a couple of decades ago, they called it, without my knowing until they announced it suddenly, Hoagland's Mars. Because it's basically our model showcased with all the bells and whistles required for people in the middle, people who don't follow this every day, to see the evidence, to see the data, to see the papers, to see the connecting glue, to see the imagery, to see the evidence, and come to the inevitable conclusion oh my God, look what we've been missing. So I want to point out, we have a donate button tonight for the first time on the other side of midnight. You go to the homepage, scroll down. There it is right in the middle. Help support our mission to keep the show on the air. But in addition to that, these funds are going to go to producing our own series, putting this together now in professionally produced form so that it appeals to the mainstream. I I can't do one of these YouTube things where you sit there in front of a screen and you kind of look bleary eyed and you're badly lit and your hair's not combed at all. No, no. In order to convince the middle of the curve, in order to convince a lot of Americans that this, in fact, is reality, we need to produce professional programming. That requires funds. Uh, to give you an example of the audience we have, I mean, we are with the uh, a group which actually has something like half a million viewers on Amazon prime. So if we have something to put into the queue, immediately we can gain access to potentially millions of people. I guess Amazon prime added another 5 million people a few days ago. At least that was one of the numbers I saw. We have the conduit. We have the, the opening provided we have the programming. So if you go to the homepage tonight and you go down to the, top of the middle there, right under the two banners. There it is. Donate to help our enterprise mission keep this show on the air. And then when you click on the banner for tonight's show with George Balabanis, who we'll get to momentarily, um, that takes you to tonight's guest page. Scroll down, and there's another banner. You know, no single point failure. So we're going to try in the coming weeks to update all our pages slowly. It's going to take some time because we don't have we don't have staff, we don't have paid staff. Everyone working on this show is a volunteer and people can't do this kind of level of professional production at a volunteer level for very long. So we need people who want to support what we're doing, who believe in our research, who believe in this programming, who believe in the multidisciplinary voices and perspectives that we're trying to bring to the air in a form that is really vetted. I mean, I spend a lot of time checking out people to make sure they've got the goods. And believe me, tonight, they've got the goods. So without further ado, let me bring on my guest tonight, because I think you're going to really enjoy and be edified by and be informed of what my guest tonight, George Balabanis, has been doing with his very young career, because he's been looking at the unthinkable. What if, in fact, there had been a great solar system war and it was still on? going. Let me give you some background. George was born on November 13th, that's auspicious, in 1992 in Athens, Greece. He was educated at the vocational college of IEKALFA in Athens with a major in tourism and hotel services, along with a thesis in space tourism. And there's a lot out there, Musk, are you listening, to uh, gratify the heart of any potential space tourist organizer. The reason behind his decision to follow this particular career path was his passion for the unknown and the mysteries of the universe. Kind of sounds familiar. Thus, while he chooses to spend his summers working fervently to assist the thousands of visitors visiting his country for their summer vacations, it's during the winter that George prefers to occupy himself with studying and researching and trying to understand the answers to the questions that have troubled humankind since the dawn of civilization. Now, those topics of his interest vary, from the theory of ancient astronauts to secret space programs and pyramids to lost civilizations. One topic, though, never fails to fascinate, and that is of an ancient civilization colonizing large parts of our solar system in the past, which came to an abrupt end due to a terrible conflict, what George calls the Great War. George's passion for uncovering the mysteries and history of our solar system and our relation to it was initially ignited when he became acquainted with me, my stuff, Oakland's stuff, the investigations I've been pursuing now for almost 30-some, more than 30-some years. A whole new world of possibilities and intrigue was revealed to him, apparently, in looking at what I've been trying to uncover. Balabanis has been a follower of our work and with his first book has now become an active member of a community, I might say a rather exclusive community, whose purpose is and will be forever to expose the truth to humankind about our long-forgotten history, and now verifiably, as you're going to hear in the next three hours and in the new book that we're all doing, The Origins of Humankind Off-World. George, welcome to The Other Side of Midnight.
1: Hello, Richard. It's good to be here so, and a great honor.
0: Well, thank you for being here. We got about four minutes to the bottom of the hour. I went longer than I had uh, thought I would go, but I wanted to give you an appropriate background because what we're going to talk about tonight is not airy-fairy academic stuff. We're seeing the buildup, at least I'm seeing, that I have not seen since the Cold War, since the, the evil empire, since all those terrible things. And in part, my model has been that in fact, the whole Cold War was part of a facade, part of a willing lie we told to ourselves to basically prepare technologies and weapons to confront something from off planet and not in fact each other. I mean, so many times during the Cold War, there were incidents where we could have annihilated us and the Soviet Union and the rest of the planet. There were radar bounces off the moon, that almost resulted in launches of, of fleets of, of ballistic missiles. There were air encounters. There were submarine you know dogfights under the ocean. All these things could have tripped a tripwire, which could have resulted in the annihilation of humanity, let alone what happened in 1962 when we had the so-called Cuban Missile Crisis, where we came within a whisker of blowing ourselves away if that all was not real, if it all was really foreplay for something else that's so much bigger, what I want to get into tonight with you is the background that you found by studying all these myths, all these ancient stories, all these incredible legends, which have come down to us through time as just kind of made-up stuff, and instead look at it as, what if it's not made up? What if there's a kernel a line of reasoning going throughout history and down through time, that in fact this is the end of, or the continuation of, something so much more extraordinary and important.
1: Absolutely. Um, I believe that we are a legacy of um, a civilization that uh, pre-existed here in our solar system, um, changed at least thousands of years ago, and um, they had Technology is capable of um, even, you know, uh, engineering a whole planet and turning it into a habitable world. And um, somehow we ended up here. And uh, this is what I tend to do into my book. I tried to find the answers to it. Like why, why there are, you know, ancient structures spread into our whole system, such as um, that we have found in Mars and the moon who built them, what for, and, you know, how they ended up being in ruin. And I think this is quite significant because um, during the uh, conclusion of my book, I, I pose a question, uh, what if actually we are, you know, um, the creations of those that came before? And uh, it's quite fascin- fascinating with the answers that uh, I come up with uh, in my book which I'm pretty sure that your listeners will be really interesting in finding out.
0: Okay, George, hold it there. We're at the bottom of the hour. That is presaging of things to come. Was there a great celestial war? Are we out of it? And now we're about to jump back in. Are we being pulled in inadvertently? Throughout the evening, I'm going to give you some clues that indicate to me that may, this may be more than just a weird and wacky far-out tale. In the background, you may be familiar with this. This is Natha's Mythodia, written by Vangelis. Again, an ode to a time when something much more serious and involving for humanity was going on. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland, and we shall return. To the first hour of The Other Side of Midnight. Be sure to catch our complete live show every Saturday and Sunday night at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern, for a full three hours of this kind of exploration. And be sure to visit theothersideofmidnight.com as you listen so you can follow our special Radio with Pictures guest page simultaneously. The Canthea, our hardworking producer, specifically prepares to illustrate the topics discussed each show. Why? Because there is vital additional information on that Radio with Pictures guest page that I assure you will immeasurably enhance your understanding and enjoyment what our guests are describing. I mean, would you rather listen to a guest talk about NASA images of ancient artifacts on Mars or simultaneously be able to follow the official NASA images showing you as you're listening the ruins? If you'd like to listen at your convenience to all our shows, including our unique radio pictures feature, please visit TheOtherSideOfMidnight.com and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. Okay, what do you get with your Club 19.5 membership, besides helping the show literally stay on the air? Well, first of all, you will exclusively, this is not available to the general public, enjoy our enhanced ad-free podcast, courtesy of Chris Bell, Automatically downloading all the latest The Other Side of Midnight shows directly to your favorite podcast device so you can listen when you want to. Further, as a full Club 19.5 member, you will gain exclusive access to our The Other Side of Midnight 24-7 chat server, what I can't help calling the Open Hailing Frequencies Room, which is available only to members 24-7. Now, during the show, that's where you will find other 19.5 members and sometimes even members of the bridge crew, my guests, and even me, uh, when I have time. Regardless, you can always relay live questions to me during the show just by going to the Open Hailing Frequencies room. Of course, when we're not on the air with your 19.5 membership, you can visit our Club 19.5 radio archives anytime and download all our shows directly to your computer which will automatically provide you a screen size that allows you to really examine the remarkable images Kinthea posts for each show. Okay. <clears throat> Here's where I need to get kind of super serious. Club 19.5 is how our show is currently solely supported in my, hopefully not vain attempt to keep commercials <clears throat> to a minimum. If you're concerned about keeping us on the year, If you want to hear information that has been vetted far more than perhaps any other show the best way to ensure that is to join club 19.5 and get your friends and family to join too and if you don't know already when i drop by open hailing frequencies you can even ask me directly what the ultimate meaning is behind 19.5 literally the most exclusive club in the world Please join me and my interesting guests on this very stream every Saturday and Sunday night at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern. And be sure to come back and listen to our live three-hour shows. Thanks for listening. And now, back to the show. And welcome back on this Saturday night to the other side of midnight. My guest this morning is George Bolabanas, and we're talking about an ancient civilization, an epical series of civilizations that actually may have been involved in some kind of major celestial conflict. And George's entry point to this is through mythology and history and iconography and temples and artwork and, Well, George, how did you actually get involved in this in the first place? Because this is not, you know, kind of the first place that people go when they think of ancient history.
1: Certainly. Um, Initially, I was interested only to the UFO phenomenon, but I think that was when I was 15 years old. But then I got interested uh, around 17 when I read a book uh, called Forbidden History, where got me exposed to all these ideas of you know ancient civilization the is as an astronaut so this is when i firstly started looking into it deeper uh, when it comes to the past and how it could correlate with the future and what uh, you know we're experiencing nowadays and um yeah then I became interesting to your work like uh, i became aware of it i remember it was one day when i was scouring google and i found this picture of the face of mars and then uh, you know everything started um and i can tell like uh, you know because i don't have any scientific background and uh, i'm not really inclined into math physics and all those you know subjects um i thought that you know conducting a research based on the stories left behind by our ancestors um you know our mythology would being you know, enough um, it would suffice to get me those answers since you know uh, we've got individuals such as yourself that you know uh, look into the scientific data that, uh, so um, i thought that by looking to you know all the stories would um, answer some more ant- uh, answers that probably we can't get through the scientific data and that's where my work comes in uh, so,
0: yeah. Well, let, let me say a couple of things. First of all, you're talking to us tonight from Greece, which is, a, I believe, what, an island off the coast of Greece? Is that correct?
1: No, I, I live in Athens, so I'm currently talking to you uh, while I'm at home. <laughs> from Athens. Mm-hmm, that's right.
0: Okay. Well, see, Greece, of course, for Western civilization, is the be all and end all of our origins. I mean, so many of our social mores, so much of our language, so much of our architecture. I mean, look at Washington, D.C. It's all Greek columns and you know Ionic and all that stuff. So you are surrounded by a history that we in this country are deprived of. I mean, you literally can walk out your front door and see something that's, you know, two, three thousand years old. That's astonishing. So obviously that must have had some impact on you.
1: Definitely. Um always been inter- interesting in visiting all those ancient tides and you know, to be honest with you, I've done it countless times uh, and, you know, I never stopped being fascinated by them. Um, yeah, I believe like, you know, Greek mythology, especially Greek mythology, like could answer many of those questions that, um, on, on this journey that they have embarked on, so,
0: yeah. So you put all this work now, you've been at this, what, a couple of years?
1: Yes, uh, at least for the last seven years. I've been into-
0: oh my God, seven years. It took me five to write Monuments, so you obviously dug deeper than I did. There's a book <laughs> you have created, which is going to show up on Amazon in the next uh, few days, maybe a week or so, and it's going right. to be mail available to the Club 19.5 members as one of their bonuses for membership. It's called Myth or Fact, The True Story of Mars, According to History and Legend. And if you go to the other side of midnight.com and you scroll down to George's section tonight. And when you click on the graphic and that takes you to his page tonight, you will see there under George's items, this gorgeous cover, very evocative cover. So what was your first, what was your first clue that there may be more to the history that you were surrounded with than the current academic, you know, historical texts and stories and, and uh, uh, profiles of, ancient Greece and before?
1: Well, that was, um, like I said before, that book that I read that firstly, um, you know, a, made me aware of all those ancient mysteries, lost civilizations, uh, such as, for you example, know, the, the myth of Atlantis and- The myth of Atlantis. Mm-hmm, that's right. Um, so this is where, uh, when I, you know, firstly became uh, interested in looking deeper into it and um, starting to uh, believe that maybe what we have been taught so far might not be actually based on truth or on fact and might be fabricated. Um, and you know, the answers I came up with it with because we got so many evidence from all around the world. Uh, We have so many stories that uh, they don't necessarily um, refer directly to my work, that of a celestial war, but that of civilizations that predate uh, even uh, our most ancient accepted uh, chronologies, Um, for example, starting with the Mesopotamian uh, civilizations. Um, And that's quite intriguing, to say the least. Now when you
0: say Mesopotamian civilizations, you're talking about what, ancient Sumer, uh, Syria. The old
1: story, yeah, with ancient uh, tumor. And yeah, then it was like Babylon and uh, the Akkadian Empire, Syria. So yeah.
0: Okay. And what was your entry point? What was it about those stories that said, hmm, there's more here than maybe
1: has been acknowledged? Well, because uh, all the stories have common uh, patterns. Let's just say the old story with the creation of the world that um, back in the days where humans were not still existent. And and the other stories start with a war, a war taking place, and then we've got the creation of mankind itself. Um, So that made me speculate that we might have something more here, something that goes way back before we even uh, were, you know, conceived, if you like, as an uh, as an idea of, uh, you know, being created, and. and then I started collecting all those stories, and I um, attempted to make patterns. Um, and initially, to be honest with you, I was not intending to write a book. It all just intrigued me, fascinated me. So I was just collecting archives. But then I realized that maybe I should put this in the paper and write down what I you know, had accumulated all those years. And uh, That was um, what made me notice that there were all these, you know, common patterns uh, that might lead to um, a possible story from our past that now it's, you know, um, a lost memory. And um, I I thought that, you know, by writing a book, uh, that would help not only myself, but all those interested into finding out about the truth of who we are, where we come from yeah hmm. okay well we have a series of really striking
0: images on uh on radio with pictures so if you go back to the other side of midnight.com click on that that's our home page scroll to the graphic click on the graphic that will take you to the show page tonight the guest page for george scroll down past that really great looking cover by the way this book is now currently available for the membership if you're a member of club 19.5 or you join tonight or you join tomorrow or you join this coming week one of the things you're going to get is this really well-illustrated and r- provocative book that George has written, The True Story of Mars According to History and Legend. And if you go under the, uh, the graphic for the book cover there, you'll find a, item number two. It says, Carving of Nergal from Hatra, Iraq. And of course, Iraq used to be Sumer. So what is this very interesting picture telling us?
1: Well, first and foremost, Nergal was one of the warring deities in Mesopotamia, and particularly that of Sumer. And um, what do we get from the myths is that he was not only a warring deity, but he was also um, you know known to be a god of um, agriculture. Um, By the way, Irish George excuse me, but there seems to be
0: some clicking or something on the air. are you Are you clicking in glass or something? Don't do that.
1: You know? yeah, <laughs> okay. but I'm not against it. Um, so um, yeah, so he was not only warrior deity, but uh, he was also known for many uh, other from many other aspects, such as you know being a god of agriculture um, or being a rebel, uh, burning flame. So we got all these interesting you know attributes that uh, were ascribed to him, but you know. Um, Without doing my research, I wouldn't be able to make a sense out of it. So now, what we get uh, from well, when this you click on the here, picture,
0: he looks mm-hmm. really remarkably. Can I say it lion-like?
1: Precisely, you've <laughs> got. You know, you're part of perceptive. So, um, yeah, precisely. You know, uh, Nurgal, um, was also depicted as a sphinx sometimes, uh, or having feline. Um, you know, characteristics so here this is what we get and uh we're it's not only that but if you notice that he's depicted you know having um, a reddish um shade of hair and beard which would um, not only um, you know indicate that he's let's say purification of mars itself, but he's also um you know, the burner, the, the flame itself. So that would indicate that uh, we're talking about Mars. Um, in addition, uh, we've got the, the sign of Scorpio that seems to accompany him um, in you know, depictions we have uh, found in ancient
0: Tumor. Hmm. Uh, and now, in Scorpio, get- in Scorpio, there is a, a star, a brilliant reddish star, which is called Antares which means Mm -hmm. the antithesis of Mars or the opponent or the enemy of Mars. That's pretty interesting.
1: That's pretty interesting indeed. Uh, But when it comes to Scorpio, um, that instantly um, uh, reminded me of the astrological lore where you got Scorpio representing Mars itself. It's the sign of Mars. And um, it was a good intrigue because from my research, what I got is that every war in deity we've got from every ancient civilization was a, pern- a permissification of mars with common patterns um that each, each individual had and um you know that was uh, an additional clue that made me speculate that actually what we get here is mars and not nergalas just you know uh, god of war and fire if you like and um then we you know we've got these um Creatures uh, of you know canine form, uh, so we could call them
0: dogs. It, okay, um, if, if you look at the painting, actually it's not a painting; it's an actual reef, reef, it's bar relief. It's a bas relief. It's got Nergal, who definitely looks mm-hmm. warlike. He's holding a, an axe. He's got his hand mm-hmm. on his sword. He's got, obviously got some kind of mail on, chainmail, to you know protect him. There's a whole bunch mm-hmm. of other symbols around him, and then he's got on a leash two very weird, multicolored creatures that look like, well, look like three very ravenous dogs.
1: That's right. Um, And they're different um, colors. Precisely. And my interpretation uh, of that was, you know, since Nurgal, and, you know, I provide enough evidence into my book, uh, you know, I, I'm pretty sure I'm convinced actually that it's Mars, it's out, like the planet. Um, that made me speculate that here uh, those three kind of creatures might represent the faces of Mars, um, starting with, let's say expedition or colonization, if you like.:
0: There's hang on, uh, hang on, George. There's some kind of clicking. are you Are you fiddling with your microphone? No, uh, I'm not. Something is intruding in our conversation. There's some extraneous noise. So anybody who's making noise, please mute. We have a number of people on the line here. So so, so sorry, sorry, George, go ahead.
1: Yeah, that's okay. So um, yeah, that made me speculate that here, actually, we we would have the history of virus itself through iconography. And uh, I came to the conclusion that uh, those three canine creatures, according to the, their color, they represent a different face of Mars. Starting with uh, let's say it's colonization, which would be, you know, the, the white side. since um, would be pure, so people would be, um, you know, uh, peace-loving. And, uh, you know, they, they wouldn't be into you know conflict, or they would attempt to, uh, con- you know, conquer each other. But then we've got. The red uh, shade, which I believe is what might refer to to war itself, where Marx was engaged into this celestial conflict, and um, which would also um, corroborate, you know, Nergal itself, because Nergal is depicted with, you know, um, a reddish beard, hair, um, and you know, he's a lord of flame, um, of rebellion. So that would totally um, be that you know, uh, face of the planet itself, and then the, you know, the dark shade, the black color, if you like, would, um, you know, indicates, actually represent Marsha's end as, um, it was known to be, you know, as a prosperous world, and, but, uh, it is known to us to be today. Um, and I believe that's one of the, let's say, smoking guns of my work that like we're actually uh, looking for, which is like the whole history of Mars, uh, all accumulated into one engraving, if so you like.
0: Well, let's let's put it kind of kind of you know hit it on the head here. In history, when academics look back, astronomers and iconographers and mythologists, and they look at Mars, they they say the reason Mars is associated with war is because of its reddish color. The reddish color reminds people of blood, warfare, that kind of thing. But if you come mm-hmm. at it from another angle, if you say that we, the human species, in fact, after Sidonia, somehow were involved literally with Mars, we have a history that involves us being on Mars before we came back and forth, back and forth, and then came back to Earth to stay, then that puts a whole different light on the question because then Mars is not an abstract bright reddish star in the sky, but a place where there actually may have been in ancient, ancient history, going back millions of years, some kind of warfare. And we come out of a warfare cultural history that we brought with us to Earth, which then imprinted I mean, you you say that this Mars connection is in cultures all over the world. let's 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 try to put some meat on those bones because that's a really important point. If there's more than just one or two examples,
1: then we're on to something. And indeed we are. I do believe that uh, we are you know the survivors of Mars or maybe the creations of those that came from Mars. Um, and we will get more to that later because, you know, Mars after the Great War was deemed uninhabitable. So those that managed to survive came here to Earth and uh, start all over again and carry on.
0: So wait, wait. In uh, your model, the reason mm-hmm. humans came back from Mars to Earth is because of a great war on Mars. And basically then we're, we're refugees. We're the parents of parents. We're the sons and daughters, incredibly removed through hundreds if not thousands and thousands of generations of people who came here fleeing this war
1: yes that, that's uh, let's say the conclusion that uh, i have come up with i mean at least what we get from mythologies um, you know that, that's that's the indication that we, that we get that actually we are yeah the refugees if you like of once a the great great, great
0: great 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 grandsons and granddaughters of refugees from a Martian mm-hmm. war. All right, now there are a lot of folks I know out there who are going to say, "Oh, come on, this is totally nuts. You, you can't have evidence to support this. So let's start going through the evidence.
1: Very well. Um, so um,
0: well, yeah. item number three on the on, on, mm-hmm. on your section, radio pictures, you have a spear, the actual um, iconographic symbol of the planet Mars. In astronomy and astrology, is a spear. Mm-hmm. What is your thoughts yeah. on how it how it became a spear?
1: Yeah, well, um, the symbol appeared during the Roman times, where because you know Mars was like the major god of the Romans, like they worshipped, and um, so this symbol came to represent Mars' shield and that of his spear, which was you know his favorite weapon to use during wars and, you know, conflict. And um, I see that's what got me into looking deeper uh, as to what this weapon might represent, because, you know, in my mind, I had this concept of a great war and um, th- there must be some indication for the weapon used, you know, utilized during this conflict. and. You know, this is the, you know, it's the clue I was looking for. Um, because what we get from, you know, the Roman mythology is that um, the spear of Mars um, used to tremble or vibrate, if you like, during, you know, conflict and, sorry, and never missed its target and uh, it could, you know, um, kill a phone with one strike. So... Um,
0: so, like it that? was kind of like a self directed drone spear? Like, yeah, well, like, like like a guided missile, like a homing weapon?
1: Not exactly. I came to the conclusion that uh, the spirit itself represented a pyramid, if you like. And, oh, uh, really? Yeah, and like the, the spirit could be, let's say, a dart or an energy uh, beam, if you like which I could, you know, uh, explain later on, um, that was capable of, you know, striking, um, you know, a point, a target and, uh, you know, eradicate it completely and um, I can to the conclusion that actually this is, you know, um, um, a symbol that represents that great weapon which was situated on Mars and ended that great war.
0: Okay, there are going to be folks that say, well, that's kind of a big leap, George. So what's the inter- interstitial glue? How do you get from seeing a spear as an astronomical mm-hmm. symbol for the planet to seeing it mm-hmm. as the top of a pyramid to seeing the, the uh, uh, you know, the, not the handle, but the actual core of the spear, the shaft, as representing mm-hmm. some kind of energy?
1: Sure, Um you know, but maybe speak to this that actually the great weapon might have been a pyramid itself. Uh, oh, derived, yeah, yeah. Well, it derived from the work of uh, Christopher Down and that of Joseph Farrell, where both like came to the conclusion that you know a pyramid is actually a power plant, and it was Joseph Farrell that elaborated further on by saying that it was a power plant in order to um, let's say power a great weapon itself. So the pyramid was, you know a great weapon although Joseph so far you know um comes to the conclusion that it was the great pyramid of Giza the actual weapon um but you know um I was like okay this great war according to my research was actually um uh, at least partially based on Mars and since Mars um you know, used to carry his spear around which was known to tremble this and- is this is the God of War Mars indeed so you know, maybe speculate that actually the great weapon might have been um, a pyramid itself because what we know so far, and according to just their files, you know, uh, work, is that only pyramid would be, um, let's say, I mean, it could provide enough energy for such a weapon to be to become operational. And um, Well, that gets into a can- whole set of
0: exotic physics. i tell you what, we're at the top of the hour. My guest this morning is George Balabanis. We're talking about the possibility of a great celestial war on Mars, a war that maybe still lives somehow deep inside in our our most repressed memories. Maybe this is why an awful lot of people, when we bring this subject up, they can't quite come to grips with the idea that we're a multi-planet species because, well, maybe something really awful Something terrible happened, and we're shell-shocked. Now, you obviously will say, well, how could we be shell-shocked since it was in ancient times and thousands of generations removed? Well, that gets into the whole idea of how do we wind up in three space anyway? Do we live lives over and over? Did some of us secretly, dimly, in the middle of the night, do we remember because we were there? this war you're on the other side of midnight my name is richard c hoagland and we shall return
2: there. This is Kinthea, producer for The Other Side of Midnight. It often happens that I receive email from listeners. I don't see the ruins in that photo. How do you see it? So we decided to put together a workshop for our Club 19.5 members only. In this workshop, we're going to go over how to look at that NASA photo and see what's actually there. An artistic analysis of Ancient Ruins. Please join Richard C. Hoagland, Ken Johnson, Keith Laney, Andrew Curry, myself and other citizen experts as we explore this topic together. And I invite you to go to theothersideofmidnight.com, click on the workshop link, and send us your suggestions of what you would like us to cover in this workshop or other workshops. We'll keep you posted. Stay tuned.
0: Thanks for listening to this exciting first hour. Now, the second and third hour of the show is available to Club 19.5 members only. Please support the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 and join our very interesting community. To do that, please visit the website, TheOthersideOfMidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350-plus shows that we have done. Now, recent Club 19.5 member archive recording. Have the commercials removed? and the sound quality has been enhanced. You'll also receive a dedicated private podcast feed that contains these enhanced show recordings. And you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the archive if you prefer. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll have access to a private chat server that members use to chat about the show during the show, and you will have a direct channel to post a question that will be read on the air to the guest and you'll have a place to post questions during our open hailing frequencies we realize that not everyone wants to call in live and this gives you an easy way to participate in a live show without having to participate club 19.5 members can use this private chat to talk about the shows ask questions suggest new guests and i may even pop on from time to time to answer specific questions also the entire bridge crew is in these participating chat channels so you can interact with them as well. You'll also be the first to preview our new videos and reports. We'll be adding exclusive new features to Club 19.5 as we go forward. And boy, have we got some amazing things to tell you about in the coming weeks. So please support the show and don't miss all the exciting new things we have planned. I want to thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your guys' support, this show would not be on the air. Please help us continue growing the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 today. And when I say we really need you, we really need you. Over and out.